Okay, so you take a president and his first lady, Sting and his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis and her husband, Ray Morano and his wife, Kelly Ripper and her husband, the Reverend Jesse Jackson and his wife, and some 34 other married couples, and you ask, what makes a marriage last? Well, you get some amazing answers, as Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue discovered. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. All my life, watching America. All my life, it's panic in America. Oh, 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 trouble in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. Marlo Thomas grew up in Beverly Hills. Her father was high-profile comedian Danny Thomas, who founded St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For five years, Marlo starred in and produced one of the highest-rated sitcoms of all time, That Girl. That Girl eventually became His Girl, when Marlowe met talk show host Phil Donahue as a guest on his show. They married in 1980. For decades, they have been united as social activists for feminism and other causes, and as strong advocates for marriage. It is my great delight to welcome to Watching America a couple I admire collectively, joined and individually for various reasons. I'm going to be speaking with Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue because they're dear to me, but also dear to the nation. Their influence has been wide and far, both in media and as as symbols of what marriage can be. Their latest book is entitled, What Makes a Marriage Last? Now, they're quick to point out it's not a how-to book, but rather an about book. It is published by Harper One, and I'm so thrilled to have them here. Welcome, Marlo and Phil. Thank you so much. We're Thanks. thrilled to Thank be you. here. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. I, I have to uh, tell you right off the bat to use, if I may, Marlo speak. Um, this is a PHM which is a perfectly happy moment because (laughs) (laughs) I am delighted to also have my wife, Christine, join me. This is the first time. Say hello, everyone, Christine. This is great to be here. Wonderful to to hear you. That's great in the spirit of our book to have two couples. It is. You know, I I have to honestly tell you, first of all, let me just compliment um, your publisher. I love the layout. I love the fact that you have the names of the couples written on the side, the margins. I love predominantly wedding photographs, and it's it's just cozy is how I would describe it. Cozy uh, and helpful without necessarily being prescriptive, which is, is wonderful. Yes, thank you. No, I love the wedding photos, and especially because they change from year to year. You know, the, the wonderful picture of Ray Romano and his wife Anna in that very 70s, Italian kind of <laughs> overdone wedding gown. You know, I'm Italian. My mom's Italian. Right. So I know those weddings very well with those huge satin trains. Oh, so glorious. And only, you know, in the 70s would you have that. Really wonderful. It, it How about wonderful. that picture of Rosalind and Jimmy Carter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And his, that is a glove right there. And his wife, he was 21 years old and she was 19. And his, her mother said, I think she fell in love with the uniform. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, I'm speaking as a male here, heterosexual male, but I can understand why. He looks very, very smart. Uh, and she does too. They look absolutely delightful. When you met with them, um, they uh, evidently had confessed to sometimes having conflicts. But uh, here you have a, a former president of the United States and a first lady. And they've had some bumps along the way, certainly challenges. What was the most impressive thing about them? I thought the fact that they were so uh, real, you know, they kind of bickered a little bit, which I just found enchanting. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're so uh, they've been under such scrutiny their whole lives. He was the governor. He was the president. So uh, they've always been under such scrutiny. But that didn't make them guarded. It made them just be themselves. 
So at one point she said, well, let me tell that. And he said, well, okay, but don't go on too long about it, which I thought was just darling, you know, because that's the way we really think. But we don't say that in front of other people. And it, it was our first interview for the book, and it really set us off feeling wonderful that, that oh, good, these people are – uh, these couples are not going to be, you know, plastic and 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 sort of like airplane food already, you know, pre-cooked and pre-cooked. You know, I was uh, very delighted by that. Well, they're very much uh, a liberal couple uh, in every sense of the word, and also traditional in that they have a strong foundation in faith. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you disclose the fact that they they read scripture to each other in Spanish, and um, and that they also um, have a regular diet of uh, of praying. I, I was uh, they they learn how to speak Spanish in their sixties. They've learned to, to do things together. That's one of the things that keeps their marriage alive. They learned how to ski in their 60s. They learned how to speak Spanish in their 60s. And that's when they decided to get a Spanish Bible and read the Bible to each other in Spanish. They read the Bible to each other before they go to sleep every yeah, night. Uh-huh. And when they're apart from each other, they, they, they choose the text that they'll read. So even if they're thousands of miles apart, they're reading the same text each night. And I, I, thought, she, I thought she revealed... Uh, during our conversation, you know, this is a girl from Plains, Georgia, and she's a feminist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I was really taken by that. Yeah. Well, to go from one, um, if you will, spiritually minded couple to another, the Reverend Jesse Jackson and his wife Jackie. Um, one of the things that they shared is that they thought, at least Jackie said in the interview that you conducted, that shared values are essential to make a marriage work. Do you, do you think that's true? Oh, for sure. I think uh, they talked about the fact that that being very uh, cognizant of of how unfair blacks are treated in the world, and and that the struggle for equality was very much a part of their lives, and and they brought that you know to their marriage, and also to their children. Their, their children are very accomplished. Every one of them, all five of them. So all of the, about accomplishing and being a, uh, you know, being a part of society is a big part of that. And also their shared religious views. Phil and I were both raised Catholic, and although we're not practicing Catholic, I don't think you're ever, they, they say people are their, you know, ex-Catholics. I don't think there's any such thing as an ex-Catholic or an ex-Jew. I think we are, in, in Judaism and in Catholicism, we're so it's still a part of our family fabric that it really is a part of your heart and soul, even though you can say I'm no longer practicing. It really does give you uh, a, a shared base. And I've often said that if you define certain words the same, uh, you have a good chance at, at having a good foundation. And simple words like fair and unfair or uh, uh, you know, good and bad acceptable and unacceptable. If you define those words the same, you have a chance at, at having good communication because, you know, if you said to somebody, well, that's not fair, and they say, well, well, who cares? Or what do you mean it's not fair? But, but if we say to each other, that's not acceptable, we know exactly, you know, what we mean. And so we're on that, 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 that kind of wavelength, don't you think, honey? Yeah, the, well, the, I'm not sure it's, in point, but the word I find, uh, and Marlowe did too, it's the word your parents use when you came home late. <laughs> you were out gallivanting. <laughs> so yes. don't let your parents know you're gallivanting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had a lot of, even those words we had the same. <laughs> well, even if you don't retain in, in say, full flavor one's faith, uh, at least conceptually, for instance, Catholicism, Christianity brings a lot of concepts to us. For instance, the two shall become one. Uh, and that's not to eradicate the fact that one is still an individual, but this concept of the two becoming one. Speaking of Catholicism, my wife and I, years ago when we first got married, we uh, I wasn't raised Roman Catholic. I'll let Christine speak here. You were raised yes. Roman. Roman Catholic all the way, colleges, universities. And right, we, yeah, we, we, we got involved with a thing called a marriage encounter. And one of the things they talk about is they use the vernacular of married marrieds. 
and married singles. And the idea of married singles is not to be disparaging, but people who are married, but eh, they don't have that sense of bondness or, if you will, oneness. Whereas married marrieds come to marriage with an idea of complete bondness, and, and we want this. Now, in my case, when I was riding a tricycle as a child, I used to pretend my wife was next to me, and I was six. Okay, so I'm, I'm a married married type of personality. Um, oh, that's so cute. But that's did, fun. Did you, did you find that, uh, for instance, going back to the Jacksons for a while, they, they clearly have this sense of married married, uh, although for albeit for challenges that they've had, one of the most moving things in the book, which brought me to tears, and I didn't expect to be brought to tears, but I did a few times in the book, uh, one of which was when uh, Jesse was talking about the fact that he was home in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, from, from seminary, and he wanted to get some books. And in those days, there were segregated libraries. And uh, he went to the general uh, library and wanted some books, and they told him he had to wait seven days. And he said, I can't wait seven days. I need them now. And a police officer said, pretty much sternly, you're going to have to wait or get out of here or something to that effect. And even though that was 1960, um, it was impactful to, to see that he went through that. He meets Jackie, and there's an alignment of intellect, thought, and spirituality. Uh, what was your impression being with them? Well, they were... What did she say? When, he belongs to me. He belongs to me. You know, this was her marriage that was going to remain her marriage, <laughs> even even beyond the infidelity of her husband, uh, which, you know, I mean, was pretty remarkable. It, uh, it produced a child. The infidelity produced a child who's a, a young woman of 20 years old today. So, I mean, that, that's a striking uh, moment in your marriage to find out that your husband has fathered a, a child with another woman. And what did she say? Jackie Jackson refers to her husband as the reverend. And when people ask her how many children she has, she, she shared this with us. She said, well, I tell them I have five. The reverend has six. So... I just thought that was amazing that she that she uh, said that, and 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 then she said something else. I, oh, I said to her, "So you didn't throw him out?" I said, "I'd have thrown Phil out." She said, "No, no, he belongs to me." And then she said, "This marriage is a test to my character," wow. and I just thought that was such a fascinating thing to say. Absolutely. You know that that she wasn't going to give up on her marriage. Her fine character was going to be able to deal with. Uh, this, this this encounter that he had, and, and she would move on from that. You know, she said, he's not going anywhere. So that was such a commitment. The book is very descriptive, uh, thanks to your good writing. But I, I was just wondering when I read that, what was Jesse Jackson's face like when, when she you know, acknowledged this? And did he... You, he said something about, in every life, some rain must fall. Remember, he was trying, he was making a scripture kind of out of it. But you, you could tell that he was, you know, he, his eyes were down. Yeah, you know, he, yeah, yeah. It, it's not a moment of which he's proud. Uh, but, however, he has always provided for that daughter. And with, with his wife's blessing, uh, they are spiritual and responsible people. But tell Alan, uh, your wife's name is Christine, did yes, you say? Yes, yes, yes. Tell Alan and Christine what you felt that you, was the common thread when we got off the road. You said, you know what I really noticed? I noticed uh, right away the people, the, the couples who wanted the marriage to last could see it. Um, and, and I discovered some of the uh, hallmarks of a really great marriage. One is the agreement to seek marriage counseling. Which you know, they do. Which that, they do. That's yeah, an we're act doing of it. love. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they weren't looking, uh, or they did not look for the escape route, no matter the challenges. And, and every marriage, you know, has its challenges as life has challenges. And so whether it was drug addiction that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis hid from her husband, Chris Guest, uh, and Phil asked him, he, Phil said to Chris, did you ever think of, you know, the, this is too much, I'm getting out of here. He said, no, never. So all of the challenges the difference between these long married couples is, as Phil said, they wanted that marriage to last. They wanted it to work. And I'm adding to that. And they didn't look for the escape route of the exit sign when things got 
be tough. And when, when we went into this, I said very grandly and with great uh, uh, conviction, yes. I said, I'm not sharing any of my own marriage. And Marlo didn't argue at all. She said, okay. And well, when what, you've been married 40 years, you know how to handle your husband. Well, anyway, we're, we're, we're two years behind you, 38. Oh, great, great. Oh, well, I've been corrected, 37. Hold on, I'm in trouble. He's, he's in trouble, 37. 37, sorry. Uh, it only seems like 38. <laughs> <laughs> we went into these um, interviews. Uh, I went into them very... Saying that you weren't going to talk about yeah, yourself. Yeah, and kind of very, uh, a little bit nervous about... You know, whether they were going to, how much did we, time did we spend? Three hours. We spent three hours with but each we, couple. We, we prepared what? Well, you thought it was going to be about 45 minutes. I didn't I didn't think it'd be that short. I also didn't think it'd be three hours. In some cases, we stayed for dinner. <laughs> right. And what I discovered uh, when we started uh, talking, the minute I said something about my marriage, uh, whether it was, you know, good, bad, or medium, uh it seemed to blow a barn door open, and they couldn't wait to talk about their marriage. These were people who wanted to share their own, often personal, life experiences. And was, was that surprised me. Very surprising. And because a lot of them were reluctant when we we call it was... You know, quite a process to put this book together. First, we had to make the list of everybody that we thought... We wanted them to, be, of course, be married at least 20 years. We changed that for, of course, the uh, same-sex marriages. Well, because you did Elton John and now. David Furnish. And they were only going to give you yes. half an hour, I understand, initially. and then. Oh, I know. That was really scary. Yeah. And that was me and Phil in our, you know, that, that was a perfect example of our different personalities. You know, there we were. We flew to Toronto. He was on tour there. We were very excited. I think I was more excited about interviewing Elton John than anybody else in the book because I'm such a fan. I mean, I could sing right now, you know, 20 of his songs. He's Me just, too. He's just a favorite of mine and has been for so many years. So I was very excited about interviewing him and David. And we got to the hotel, and the assistant called and said, I'm so sorry. Elton is very tired, so he'll only have 30 minutes. And I just went into a panic. So I started to make a list of questions because we didn't take questions into our interviews. We had some thoughts of what we'd like to learn, but we didn't have questions. And so I made a list of 10 questions so there could be a rapid fire interview so that we would get answers. Because in 30 minutes, I better come away with something to make sure, a chapter. Absolutely, yes. Bill, on the other hand, turned on the television set and watched a ball game. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? We've got to come up with 10 questions we can get some answers to. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. Trust <laughs> me, they're not going to throw us out after 30 minutes. And they didn't. I had my 10 rapid-fire questions. We went up to their hotel suite, and we were there 90 minutes. But So that's the difference in our personalities, which was that was so uh, kind of illuminated, you know, who we are. And and that's who we are, you know, in our lives. He's the one that's kind of laid back, let's wait and see. And I'm the one rushing for the phone to try to find a solution immediately. And the book turned out to weigh, I don't know, a little less than a ton. Right. And <laughs> I you love were it, concerned yeah. with, what would the publisher say? Yeah, when we turned it, it was supposed to be uh, three hundred, around 350, 60 pages. It's 600 pages. Yes. And each story was supposed to be about 2,500 words. The stories were so rich and so good that I that they're five thousand words. The Elton story is six thousand words. So we turned it in and we kind of, you know, put ourselves under the covers and waited for the the, the, the publisher to call us and and scream at us. And instead, she said, "I love it. Don't cut anything. We'll go with it this way." A great decision. So I was. We were thrilled. I honestly would recommend this as a great wedding gift to couples, an anniversary gift to couples, and and I loved it. My wife and I are reading it and have read it, and um, and find gold it gold writing, uh, gold just, writing, and uh, white. Uh, and just gorgeous, just a gorgeous book. I mean, it's just absolutely delightful all the way through. I must remind everyone you're listening to Watching America. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Campbell, who at this moment is beyond the moon because he has two of his favorite persons, Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue. Their latest book is entitled What Makes a Marriage Last? As they have said, it is not a how-to book, but 
an about book. And it's not prescriptive. It's just sitting down with couples. And as you read it, you feel that you are there in the moment with them. And that is a is an art of writing in of itself. Um, one of the things we say in the marriage ceremony is uh, in sickness and in health. And you encountered Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan. Um, what did you discern from the great challenges that they've had physically in their marriage? Well, as we say in the story, you know, uh, it's that that disease, they, they learned about that lifetime diagnosis three years into their marriage. I mean, she could have easily run out. She could have... Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Yeah, Parkinson. She could have easily, you know, run away from that. Uh, many people would. Um, just it's too scary. A lot of... After reading, after meeting all these couples, one of the things Phil and I talked about is maybe the reason people don't stay married is they don't think they've got what it takes to meet the demand, the challenge of what life gives you. I mean, if life gives you a Parkinson's disease diagnosis or if life gives you a, a your child dies or your husband cheats on you and has a baby out of wedlock, or you lose all your money is the way Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick did. They lost 30 years of their savings to Bernie Madoff. These are huge moments in somebody's life, and people break up because they don't know how to face it. They get, I think they get scared, and they, they, they panic, and they look for the exit sign uh, because that's what we felt after watching these people and what they did to confront these challenges and continue to uh, to love each other and to get through it. And I really do think, as, as you asked about Michael and, and Tracy, what they've put together is so strong that no one could break that bond. They've, they've, they put all their love into each other, all their, all their pain with each other, with what they've gone through, what they are going through. And it's the diseases in the marriage, as we wrote, and the marriages in the disease. It's there, it's locked, and it's full of love and, and conviction. And it's, it's like it's made of steel. It's completely theirs. And you don't know when you walk down the aisle and say, in sickness and health and richer for poor and, and all of those things, you know, do you really hear it? Do you really know what you just promised? Because a lot of people, when it when that happens, when they hit the wall with sickness and health and richer for poor, um, they they can't do it. They don't know how to how how to how to confront it. And the the child who had spina bifida, right? Um, suddenly, Al, Al Hunt and, and uh, Judy Woodruff. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, that's a that is a real gut punch. Yes, spina bifida. Yes. You know, and I remember saying to them, and then you have the the difficulty, I would think, of committing yourself to your son's well-being and at the same time not compromising your relationship with your husband. And she looked at me and said, right, you know, like, yes, yes, you, you, un you got it now. You understand. Right. Yeah. It was very hard for them to find time for themselves or even think about their own relationship because they were so bound up with making their child better, or at least more comfortable, educable. I mean, all the things that they worried about with their son. So, I mean, you, uh, and I think as Phil said, going to marriage counseling, the Brian Cranston and his wife, Robin Dearden, said it, they don't go for a referee. They go for an interpreter. They need somebody to help them say, understand what the other one meant by that, what the other one meant when they did that, that it wasn't necessarily <clears throat> how one of us will take it. You know, you can take it the wrong way. How many times have you not understood what your partner said? I was very impressed with Kristen Bell, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, and her husband Dax. And they say that the, the issue of their marriage therapy is the idea of just learning how to argue, which is another imperative facet. I mean, you're going to argue, you're going to fight. Um, uh, with, with, with no embarrassment intended, Phil has confessed to the fact that there's been times in his life where he's been a door slammer and, uh, and right. you know, <laughs> go to the other room. I've done the same. Uh, and 
you know, the whole issue is to learn to to show respect in your love and disagreement in in the process. So it's kind of like bringing, I would say, bringing a ship into dry dock. You you want to remove the barnacles that are on the bottom. A lot of couples are afraid to do that. Very reticent to right. to have outside help. Let me ask you about Rob Reiner. Um, a good friend of yours, he he made a film, which is one of my favorite films, which is called The Story of Us, which is about the demise of a relationship, starred Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, they Rob Reiner asked Eric Clapton to, to write the theme tune for it. And Eric Clapton came up with the idea of sorry. How important is sorry in a marriage, in your estimation? What do you think, honey? Oh, I think it's critical. I mean, you know, if, if one person in the union will not give up the argument, then you have to say that the union is doomed. I mean, you have to walk. Um, James Carville said something to us that we both actually have used. And it sounds so cliched, but it's amazing. When you're into an argument, you know, about some Mickey Mouse issue, and you're going around and around, you do this. Oh, he says... Why don't we just kick that can down the road? Yeah. And Phil and I have started to do that in the when we're having one of those circular things. Or so you said you would, no, you didn't, yes, you did, you, you know, all that. One of us will say, oh, just kick that can down the road, Chris, my God. Christine's nodding her head here. <laughs> yeah, it just really helped. And we started laughing. We, I mean. <laughs> we really did. We started laughing about it. But it's so true. And we use it a lot now when we go into that. You said you'd do it. No, you said you'd do it. Um uh, because a lot of that is just not wanting to let go that you're right. You know, and after a while, it's like, who the hell cares who's right? <laughs> who will care in 100 years? That's what I say to Alan. And and my favorite word he'll tell you is sorry. I just, I have to hear sorry, and then we're fine, and then we go on with it. But you have to disclose. In right. your case, you don't even care if I mean it. You no, just want to... You're right. That doesn't... No, I just want to hear sorry. It's To me, it's 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 it's, it's, it's like the, the dog, you know, with his tail between his legs. It's, I, I just have to say it. I don't have to necessarily mean it. I just have to say it, but I oblige. And hopefully he means it. Yes, hopefully. Or you'll never get anywhere. Uh, you, you both lived in Westport, and so I don't want to make presumptions. And by the way, one of the things, many things, um, Phil, that I admired about you, you started out in Dayton, Ohio, you went to Chicago, you went to New York. And because, if I remember correctly, because of a strike, you left New York City and you went to Stanford and you did the show in Stanford for a while. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. That was a strike by Nabit, the broadcast engineers, right. without whom you would not get on the air. And uh, in support of these people who had well, supported well, you, me all those years, you wouldn't you wouldn't cross the picket I, line. Yeah, I didn't cross the picket line, and we um, originated the show from uh, Fort Lee, I think. Well, it was close to Fort Lee. Well, that's good enough. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you were living in Los Angeles at the time that you you met Phil, and uh, the the famous uh, uh, circumstance where you were a guest on his Chicago show. You had heard of him. You didn't know a lot about him. You were somewhat reticent about doing an hour, um, and you were living with two dogs in L.A. And you go and do the right. show. You're in the green room. Um, the sparks are there. There is this <laughs> instant chemistry. Uh, between the two of you, I know. And, and the body language, the haptics, we call it in communication, where you, you start tapping each other. Marlo Thomas is back. It's been a couple of years since she last visited with us. You are so thin. Am I? Uh-huh. Thinner oh. than I think last time. You've never been fat. No, no. I, I, drink, I eat a lot of food to try to gain weight, actually. You are really fascinating. And no, you but are... you are wonderful. I said it when we were off the air, and I want to say you are loving and generous, and you like women, and it's a pleasure. And whoever is the woman in your life is very lucky. Well, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Marlo Thomas. <laughs> it was, it's glorious to watch. It's lovely. To, very rarely do you see a documentation of, of somebody falling in love or a couple falling in love. It was very embarrassing. But you, you eventually settled on uh, the girl who, that girl who didn't want to get married, both uh, fictionally and in reality. And by the way, I have to credit you. One of the things that is always uh, having taught situation comedies, God bless her, but Mary Tyler Moore always gets the reputation for being the first independent woman on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And it's not true. It was you on that girl that established... Well, uh, I think... Uh we share it, but it's true I was first. And she even admitted that. She often said I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that girl. Yeah. And no, uh, some people give her that credit, but no, it, the credit is mine. And I, I accept it because it was, it was a very exciting thing to break that barrier. There yeah. had not been 
a girl on television who ever said, I don't want to get married. I mean, she literally said, I don't want to get married. I want a career and I want to find out who I am first. And that was a big deal. That was a revolutionary thing. And a lot of resistance from the suits. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you know, they probably wanted the episode where you married Donald, you know, and and, uh, probably pushed for that. That's how they wanted to end the show, but I wouldn't do that. Because I felt that would be betraying all those girls who had followed me all those years. It followed that girl, really. And I didn't want to put it out there that the only happy ending is a wedding because I didn't believe it. So I couldn't possibly do it. And it was true, moreover, completely true. Um, when yeah. you saw Phil and, you know, one date leads to the next date and then it's pretty clear that uh, he needs to introduce you to his uh, four sons, um, you were taking on a lot, Marlo. Um, it's it's an unenviable position to be in as a, as a step-parent, I am told, and I've witnessed it in other persons' lives. How did you How did you navigate and manage that? You know, I don't think I thought it through, to tell you the truth. I was so... They say love is blind. I was so completely blindly in love with Phil that I saw his children as, you know, they were first of all, they were great boys. They were great kids. They were very accepting of me. Uh, thankfully, their mother and father had given them Free to Be You and Me, which was my children's album and book. So they knew who I was. I wasn't a stranger to them. I, I didn't really see it for for what it was, which is a lifelong commitment. You know, as a single girl at the time, I thought, you know, okay, he's got four sons and then they'll go to school and then they'll get married and they'll go away and start their own lives. Well, when you're a parent, you realize that's not true. You're a parent for your whole life and you're a step parent for your whole life. So it's a much bigger commitment than I thought it was. And I don't think it would have changed my decision to marry Phil, but it, it wasn't as looming as as it, as I realized it as they grew up they're, they're still in your life they still need advice they still need you it, it's you know it's still a, a, it's a lifelong commitment children are well the relationship evidently worked well because uh, in relation to the offspring Michael and Reed you wound up being the godmother uh, which is more than just a sign of, of courtesy, but affection and love that they, they entrusted you with that position. So you must it have... It was worked... a very, very moving moment for yeah. me. It really was. Uh, M- Michael said, uh, we don't want you to be the step anything to this child. And I, it really made me cry. I was I hadn't expected it. It wasn't anything I even hoped for or thought about. It was a, it was a gift of love and it, it meant so much to me. And not having my own children, something that I don't regret. I did not want to have children. But I will say that that's been the gift is that these children, and especially these grandchildren, these grandchildren are mine. You know, <laughs> I've, I've helped to raise them. And I, I love them and they love me. It's a very close bond I have with the grandchildren. Well, in relation to getting to know Phil, um, there is this point in, in nearly every relationship, I'm sure Christine can attest to this, that uh, you get to know somebody and then there's something of disfavor that you discover about the other one. It might be two months into the relationship, sometimes it goes as long as two years, and you feel as though, wait a minute, this is a violation. I'm fouled here. I didn't know that was part of your personality. Um, when did that happen for the two of you, if I may be so bold to ask, and how did you handle it? When was the first thing like, hmm, not so sure like that? I think that the first thing, and and it remains to be the thing that bothers me the most about Phil, is that he's a procrastinator, and I'm not. You know, he's, in other words, he's laid back, but he's also a procrastinator. And I'm not a procrastinator. Have you been talking to my wife? Have you been talking to Christine? Is this a setup? We have the same issue. Yeah, and... No, it's interesting because my father was also a procrastinator, and I worshipped my father. I can't believe that. It doesn't that. make you a bad it just It's just there are people who do not. I feel if there's something to be done, I'd like to do it now. I'd like to do it now. I'd like to cross it off. I'd like to get it done. I don't want it looming over my head. I'm talking about something substantial. I don't want it looming. Phil is like, well, let's do it tomorrow. Let's think about it. And I and I get annoyed. I said, "No, let's do. Let's why, why wait? Let's 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 call them up. Let's order the thing. Whatever it is, let's do it now." So that's a, something that that I 
did not like and still don't like. Uh, and we and it is probably the biggest bone of contention we have is I want to solve it now. He wants to not not solve it now. Uh, I don't know. I want to watch the ball game. <laughs> Christine's signaling to me. She's desperately oh, wanting to talk. Oh, guys, ditto on that. I have a to-do list every day, Marlo. A lot of women, most women yeah. I know, right? You cross it off and check it off. And Alan's thing right. is, we will wait till tomorrow, honey. That can wait. We'll do whatever. And I'm, no, no, it can't wait. Why? Well, I just want to say in defense of, of, of those of us who are procrastinators, I, I am honored to have your father, as, as self-declared by you, um, to, to, be, right. uh, to be in the club. I mean, this is a man, I just want to remind the audience, um, uh, this is a man, Danny Thomas, who created Make Room for Daddy, the Daddy the Thomas show after four seasons. He was responsible for giving us the Andy Griffith show, Goma Pyle, uh, Dick Van Dyke show. He's also a man that built St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So yes. Obviously, he knew how to get something done. But he also was a guy who, you know, could wait till tomorrow for something that he didn't think was uh, as important. That's a personality difference. You know, I mean, I I'm, think I'm more impulsive um, than Phil. And sometimes that works in our favor, that, that, that we don't do something. And sometimes it works in our favor that we jump on something. Phil, what was, if anything, the first thing that you went, hmm, I didn't know that about Marlowe. That came as a bit of a shock and you had to amend your attitude towards. Well, the luggage. Yeah, is that what you're going to say? Well, that that is one. Uh, Marlowe, you know, we could go, uh, you know, across the river to a uh, cottage or an inn and she would have Six <laughs> items of luggage. I mean, I we have. Uh, I mean, I've seen valets all over the world uh, struggle with her luggage, uh, and I'm I'm there saying, "Why? What are you doing?" Blah blah blah. And uh, it took me a while to, uh, you know, hold on, big fella, uh, let it go. It's not worth the argument. And uh, watch as she, then she hangs up everything in the luggage when we arrive at the hotel. <laughs> so <clears throat> when we leave the hotel, we've got to take everything off the hanger in the lo- in the closet. So I'm saying, why, you know, why would you, why do you do this? And she wants the same. We her- used to fight about it terribly. I mean, really, he we'd get we'd get in the car to go to the airport. And he would be nagging me the whole way. Why do you take this much luggage? What's this about? Blah, blah, blah. Then we'd get to the baggage man, and Phil would say to the baggage guy, do you believe this? We're going away for one week, and she's got four suitcases? Like the baggage guy cares, right? <laughs> and uh, finally it took about, I don't know, 25 years, and he just one day stopped. Yeah. <coughs> I said, let's kick that can down the road. <coughs> right. Well, um, I think we reach a point where we get exhausted from just nitpicking and arguing, and and that exhaustion is is not a bad thing. It should be welcomed because you just get to a point of surrender. Like I can't change them. Yeah, that's right. Would you say that's the biggest thing? Is that like my procrastination? Uh, well, certainly. Um, no, it's true. I mean, it it bothered me a lot. What the hell are we doing here? Looks like we're going around the world. Well, not only that, but Phil's the kind of guy, he wants to carry his bag on the plane so when we land, we don't have to go to baggage. So you can imagine, for a guy who wants to have a bag that he can put on the plane, traveling with a woman who's got four bags and baggage, that's, you know, it really is an unhappy marriage. (laughs) <laughs> if you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Campbell, and my guests are Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue, one of the most delightful couples I think one can find in North America. Uh, I'm very interested in your friendship and your observations about uh, Alan and Arlene Alder. Um, he used to travel regularly back to the East Coast from uh, Los Angeles uh, doing MASH every single weekend. Um, what, what do you account for their success in marriage all these decades? Well, they certainly, it is a, you can see the seriousness and the the commitment to their union. Imagine, he took the, uh, I think on every Friday night. The, the red eye. He took the red eye. 
and they lived in New Jersey. Yeah. On a regular street with, uh, you know, elm trees on the front yard. But it's a, but it's, what, what gets lost in that, you know, people talk about, wow, what a great, you know, sacrifice he did. What's interesting is the res- mutual respect. He respected the fact that she did not want to leave New Jersey. She did not want to take the kids out of school. She wanted them to have the friends that they'd had their whole lives. And he respected that. And she respected that this was a great career move for him. They each respected what the other wanted out of life. And that went on for 11 years. I mean, so, um, and then in the summer, they would take a house and they would, you know, bring the children and and they'd be a, a family for the summer when school was out. And that that is, that's why that marriage is so strong. There's been a always been a respect what the other one thought life was about. We're talking with Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue. Their latest book is entitled What Makes a Marriage Last? It's a gorgeous book physically, aesthetically, but also certainly because of its content. Uh, an array of fabulous couples, uh, straight, gay, uh, older, younger, all um, addressing the things that pretty much all of us, one way or another, eventually encounter, if we haven't already, in the realm of marriage. How do you keep romance alive? Not just you individually as Marlo and Phil, but in general. I'm, I'm by nature a romantic, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to uh, let you know that Alan, 37 years of marriage, has never forgotten my birthday. He decorates our kitchen every single birthday for our three boys and myself. He gives me surprises uh. and flowers. Uh, he's a romantic, and I'm very fortunate. So how do you weigh romance in a marriage? Well, I think, well, how would you say, honey? Well, Marlo's pretty good at that. I mean, uh, in order to uh, seduce me <laughs> to the movie uh, on, you know, the, in the evening, uh, she makes popcorn. Small thing, but, boy, I tell you what, it helps. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, I'm... I mean, one of the biggest agonies of my life is Marlo's birthday. I mean, <laughs> what what do I, what kind of gift uh, is is possibly going to make her happier? And what and tell them what makes me the most happy. What you give me? Uh, the uh, oh, <laughs> the the note that I wrote. Right. I did. I finally yeah, I wrote the card. You. Every every year, tell them what you say. You always imitate me looking at the card. Right. Uh, that's true. Uh, Marlo reads every card. You know, I mean, a fr- the original, back from the basement, wherever the creator of greeting cards works. Um, uh, y- you know, uh, I love you always. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. There's nobody in the world like you. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> and she she reads it out loud. <laughs> I love it. Like it's, you know, some kind of Shakespearean <laughs> discovery. Uh, so she's a romantic in that sense. She really is. And he always, I have a, piles and piles and boxes and boxes of all the cards he's given me. They mean really do mean more to me than than the gift. The greatest gift that we give to each other is our time. And I think time is the gift uh, of love. We um, always, on our anniversary, from our first anniversary till now, we take, well, this year, of course, we couldn't move uh, because we've been in quarantine, but we take a trip together somewhere alone. Um, We've gone as far as China and Indonesia, and we've gone uh, upstate New York, depending on how much time we have. But on our anniversary, May 21st, that week is our time alone. And, you know, when the kids were younger, that was a big thing for us to to leave the country. This year for our 40th, he wrote me something that that I framed and is hanging on my wall in my study. Um, It's just just something that was very romantic and loving. And so I think I think it's very the romance is very important, you know, People talk about how important sex is to a marriage. It is, but it comes with romance. Yes, you know it. It comes with um, uh, it's sex and romance are an all day thing. They don't just happen when the lights go off. It they're all day long. That that feeling that somebody is 
looking at you with appreciation or touching your behind when you walk by. There's a connect, physical connection. Yes. That, yes. That, that is part of, of the whole. And that's got romance in it and sex in it and, and, and intimacy and a closeness that you don't have with any other human being on the planet. Right. In this last closing section of Watching America, and uh, for those just joining us, I'm sorry you missed the first part, but you can get it on a podcast. Uh, we are talking with Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue regarding their latest book, What Makes a Marriage Last? Comfort is an integral part of marriage, uh, as is evidenced by a lot of the statements made by the couples you interviewed. Uh, for the listening audience, they interviewed over f- 40 couples, actually, they interviewed. And um, in the process, there are bad times that we all experience. No life goes unscathed. In the case of your own hubby, uh, who had a 29-year run of great success of a talk show, uh, 20 Emmys, a Peabody Award, um, there was a, a moment of disfavor because he was very brave from his standpoint uh, regarding MSNBC and, and the loss of his program. When he gets the call, or got the call, I should say, past tense, and told you and, and comes home with this bad news and perhaps is in tears, as many men are. I certainly know I could tell you I've been in tears many times in my life. Um, how do you both comfort and, if you will, emotionally bandage each other when you've suffered pain? I, I think, well, we, we talked about it. First of all, uh, I was very angry. Uh, I was much angrier than Phil was. I think Phil knew what he was walking into. He had been warned to stop talking against the war uh, while the other networks are waving the flag. This was the invasion of Iraq. Yeah, the invasion of Iraq. And everybody else on MSNBC was for the war, and he was the only one against the war. And and the media across the country was for the war. They were all absolutely. They were all banging the drum. Right. And Every major metropolitan newspaper in this country supported the invasion of Iraq. Put your put your brain around that for a moment. And mm. so I said immediately, "Well, you've got to you've got to get out there and 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 talk about this. You know, you. I mean, how dare this is freedom of speech. This is America." Scent is good. What what is this? We both have the Thomas Paine Award, which is about dissent. Anyway, uh, he said, "No, I won't do it. I won't. Uh, not going to go whining about my job while boys and girls are coming home in body bags, which I still disagree with. I didn't think one was exclusive of the other. I still, think, you know, he should have gone out and said, "This is what's happening to this country that you can't speak your opinion." Um, but he felt it would look like he was crying about losing his job, so he didn't do it. So we differed on that tremendously. So we had, um, I don't think we did much crying. We did much arguing about how to react to it. And I was very angry. I mean, how dare they, how dare anyone fire anyone uh, for speaking the truth, especially, in my opinion, Phil Donahue, who had been 29 years on the air uh, giving everybody's point of view, whether it's the Ku Klux Klan or whoever else, Absolutely. everyone got a chance. Yeah. I just want to interject as, as a talk show host myself. One of the things that um, I've tried to bring to Watching America is an even balance between people on the left and on the right. You gave a voice to everybody. And that mm-hmm. is stellar as a standard. And uh, regrettably, we don't see as much of that as we used to. So it endears my heart to know that I'm speaking with the two of you, uh, even at this moment. To go and to conclude, uh, if you were going to give one bit of singular advice to either a young couple or a couple who are going through bumpity-bump times, what would it be? Well, I I think, well, there's so many, but I do think that what Kira Sedgwick said so succinctly is there's no plan B. Mm. When you get married, this is it. If you go in with that, if you go in with the idea that if this doesn't work, you can always get out, then you probably will get out. But the fact that you go in and say, there's no plan B. This is my marriage. I mean, unless you have an abusive partner, which then you should run away quickly. But uh, I, I think the idea that you're in this together and there is no plan B is a very, a very strong uh, point to me. Phil? And, then, 
and the fact that staying together often um, drains the couple of less energy than uh, breaking up. Breaking up is uh, very complicated, time-consuming. <laughs> you know, lots of lots of bills. I hear and, I hear uh, Neil Sedaka singing "Breaking Up" is hard to do in my mind right now. Right, right, yeah. right. No, but I, I really do think uh, uh, Peter Herman, who's married to Mariska Hargitay, also said, if you get married thinking the other person is going to make you happy, mm. you're going to fail. That the happiness comes from what you build together. That's where the happiness is. And it doesn't come from the other person. It comes from you together. That is uh, another, you know, piece that I, that I would say. And I love what Viola Davis said. She said, you, you, you're not married when you walk back down that aisle. You're really married when you're sitting across from your spouse and they do something that you really can't stand. Yes. And you think to yourself, yeah. okay, I really can't stand that, but I love this person and I will just live to accommodate that. That's also being, that's also marriage. Well, Marlo, I started out by saying this was a PHM, perfectly happy moment. You need to know America. This is a phrase uh, that was coined by Marlo, a perfectly happy moment. And I've had many of those moments during the course of this interview. First, I want to thank my wife, Christine. Great being here. And thank you. You're both very cozy, loving couple. Thank you so much for your book and for your wisdom. And Marlo and Phil, I, 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 I want to thank the two of you for your generosity of spirit, but I also want to thank you for your character, uh, because one of the, I think, important elements of a marriage is to strive. We're not perfect. We're far from it, all of us. But to strive for character, maybe some of those old Catholic values that you both referred to coming through, the idea of being earnest and honest and persevering and working at a relationship. Not that we look at disdain with anyone who has had a failed relationship, but... Um, by gum, by gosh, by golly, it is really great, as you have said repeatedly, that if you just persevere, persevere. And I think, you know, marriage is like uh, reading a novel. There's chapters you like and chapters you don't, but the pages keep turning and hopefully it will have a happy ending. Thank you for right. being a part of the show. Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Very you. Nice. both. Nice to meet you both. Yeah. Thank you. You are part of the fiber of America that makes it great. Thank you. God bless you both. Right, dear. Bye-bye. Thank you very Bye-bye. much. Bye-bye. God bless. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. You've been listening to Watching America. You can get it wrong Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight. We can work it out. We can work it out. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our producer, Paul Bebo. Our senior producer is Gina Gamboni. Executive producer, Chuck Dowd. Chief of content, Heather Mazzoni. And CEO, Bert Schmidt. I'm watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. Until next time, take care and blessings. Try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I am right or I am wrong. While you see it your way, there's a chance that we might fall apart before too long. We can work it out. We can work it out. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.